0: i thought that i had things all figured out and after my wife and kids would go to sleep i would take care of the chores around the house while knocking back a couple of beers then sneak out of the house until about midnight or one o'clock sleep on the couch wake up at six go to the gym for half an hour go to the bakery for a couple beers and get my coffee and brush my teeth at the bakery and come back and say, all right, let's do it all over again.
1: <laughs> Goeiedag, São Paulo. And the same from me In other words, good day, Sao Paulo
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yes, good afternoon, good
2: morning, actually Good morning, good Sao Paulo, we
1: are back We're back in the saddle, in Studio Y Yes, in you Brazil. look
2: more like you're in a saddle than I do, actually With all your contraptions <laughs> you're wearing But
1: I still got the neck brace Yeah, it's going into month three of, this, of the torture with this thing But, okay, I can get to it yeah. Anyway, don't worry about that We have... Better news and more important news today, actually some real news news. What's the news news? Tell us the news news. The economic political situations in the world are just, it's intense right now.
2: It is a very topsy-turvy world right now, particularly economically, and particularly if you're an investor. I don't know if you've seen stock prices, but they've been going up and down like a like a cryptocurrency, like a cryptocurrency. Yes, <laughs> we've got a slightly more vulgar phrase we use in England, but I oh, oh, will wow. okay. But uh, we won't use that here because we're clean. Say, you
1: weren't going to say yo-yo.
2: We're a clean product, like a yo-yo. Yo-yo is a good one, actually. Okay. Yes,
1: you kind of get used to that in Brazil. You're mm. used to a bit, uh, quite a bit of volatility and if you can play the volatility well you can make a quite a bit of money
2: for sure and i think that's what's going on actually i think people are it, it, seeing opportunities to let's all go in and then let's all come out again and go back in again and
1: yeah it, 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 when the market's a yo-yo you can make a lot of money if you're if you're the the, the guy pulling the strings of the yo-yo exactly you're doing quite well
2: and we haven't even got to the election in brazil yet which no. is going to make it even more exciting
1: <laughs> so i do have some news about that
2: Okay, well, I guess we should crack on in that case. Let's go.
1: Let's do it. My first news, let's start with the election in Brazil. Let's start with the news. Tell us the news, Jack. I can't actually talk about the election because typically they're not allowed to do the election until I think three months before the election. So we're still too early for that. However, ah, the well, candidates have already started. Let's, in all honesty, let's see. In, in, informally, they've already started. Well, I did notice that we got some strange bedfellows this election, in that we have Lula
2: and oh, what's his Alkman. name, Geraldo Alckmin pairing uh, together. Alckmin.
1: Yeah, I think it, it sounds like a, it sounds like a Dutch word for I don't know vomit or something. I don't know. <laughs>
2: what yeah. What is the Dutch word for vomit then?
1: Uh, Cots. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Kotz to you as well. Uh, uh, let's start with the top. Let's start with Bolsonaro. Bolsonaro. Tell so, us about Bolsonaro. At the moment, Bolsonaro is being questioned over a kind of a, a questionable purchase that the military made for 30,000 Viagra pills. <laughs> so well, you can, well, maybe they
2: have another use. Who knows?
1: You, you can imagine. That, but here we we're already talking about erection gate and, and things like that. But um, <laughs> Bolsonaro claims, so this is what he says, that the Army and Navy use it to treat pulmonary hypertension. Mm. Now, absolutely nobody is buying that, a pulmonary hypertension with Viagra. I mean, we've talked about not using Viagra with... With, with, with marijuana. yes, That can have some potential. But nobody treats it for pulmonary hypertension. Come on, that's just...
2: Well, it's not, it's not a very good look for an army, is it? Because you imagine an army is full of virile
1: young men <laughs> who all look like Rambo, and yeah. here you are telling me they're on Viagra. Well, it doesn't stop just there. Actually, there was a real congressman, Marcelo Frey- Freixo, he said that he would ask the DA to investigate the erectile outrage. <laughs> so uh, he said that they've waited too long to buy the covid medicine, but they're very ready to buy Viagra for the uh, for the military. Well, 30,000 is an interesting
2: number too, isn't it? I mean, exactly I mean, it, how many people does that supply in one
1: Well, I don't know. When you figure now I'll get to that in just a second because in the the military does have its own healthcare system. Mm. So they're the ones actually doing the purchases and the military says they treat about 700,000 active military active and let's say past military personnel. Ah, so this includes past
2: military yeah, personnel. So that's okay. when
1: pe- perhaps the the Viagra is going. Uh, now also, it's becoming one day later after this the Viagra report came out. Mm. More details came out, and it seems that the military not only was buying Viagra, but also they purchased uh, some penile implants.
2: Oh, well, you're the expert (laughs) on implants, so do do explain to our listeners what a penile
1: implant is. This is kind of a plastic surgery that I hadn't really thought (laughs) about, to be honest. Is it like the butt uplift or so? Well, I don't. I mean, they're military people. I don't know what happens. Maybe in, in combat or simulations. Maybe you know, you get your, your thing, your Johnson shot off or something. I I don't know. But anyway, the uh, the military healthcare has responded. They said that uh, some male patients uh, need to be treated for var- various ailments that might require surgery.
2: So the idea, then, is that possibly um, Bolsonaro is being accused of basically paying for the um, erectile needs of his cronies, who are all struggling in that department because they're all retired and
1: that's it. they
2: want to live up the good life still and that's not have to it. pay for it anymore because their pensions are clearly pathetic. You know?
1: Yes. Now, their pensions are out of this world. Very good. Well, I
2: would be interested to see how much progress they make in... Um, bringing Bolsonaro to, to, to task on this. Yeah, we'll this, this
1: erectile gate has is, is gone on too far.
2: How many people, I'll well, start again, how many Brazilians do you think there are living in Portugal right now? Portugal?
1: 500,000? Um, I don't know. Um, well, actually, not far off. Um, oh.
2: The unofficial figure, the unofficial estimate is around 400,000, although the official figure is about 210,000. Which is a 14% increase in the last uh, year or so.
1: Okay, so Portugal is uh, it's, its a good destination.
2: You would have thought so, wouldn't you? Because they speak Portuguese. It must be a nice place for Brazilians to go and live. And they have work. good
1: food. However, um, of late,
2: there has been some dissatisfied Brazilians in Portugal. Really? Many of whom are claiming a systematic racism and xenophobia against Brazilians in
1: Portugal. (laughs) I didn't know that Brazil was a race. I mean, but okay, xenophobia, it's possible.
2: So the Commission Against Racial Discrimination um, has said that the number of complaints by Brazilians against um, this behavior... Has increased by four hundred and thirty-three percent since twenty seventeen. Wow! So now there have been uh, ninety-six complaints in twenty twenty against only eighteen in twenty seventeen. So they've gone up by it's gone up quite a factor bit, factor fourfold. Do you want to know why the Brazilians are complaining? Yes. So the main thing is that. Um, Basically, they're saying that the Portuguese are treating them a bit like second-class citizens. Uh-huh. Um, so um, there was actually a case of a professor, Professor Pedro Cosme de Costa Vieira, which is not not easy for me to say, who was an economics professor at um, the University of Porto, and he was fired, actually, um, after a number of sexist, racist, and xenophobic comments, including really? a comment allegedly that said um, Brazilian women are a commodity and...
1: Oh no, you can't say that
2: kind of stuff. That's good. <laughs> they just come here to take our Portuguese men, basically and leave the Portuguese women without a husband.
1: Well, but I mean I don't know. I mean, actually, actually I can understand the Portuguese men wanting to go with the Brazilian women. I, I don't think that's a bad thing.
2: So, um, some of the students, they're, they're complaining several examples, actually, of um, cases where they felt they were discriminated against in the classroom um, one case, there was a guy who wanted to take the the exam in English because he was doing business, and most of the terms were English. And when he got to the test, he, um, was, given, he was told to do the Portuguese version. And, of course, he struggled with that because he'd been studying it all in English the sure. whole time. And to which he was told, well, if you can't speak Portuguese, that's your problem. <laughs> <laughs> so he wasn't very happy. Um, and then another comment was in an elevator, apparently, that um, somebody said to this girl... It's nice that we don't need to go there to get our slaves anymore because all the slaves come here. Oh, instead. no.
1: Oh, that's that's not a good comment. No, 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 no. Um, so there's
2: been a lot of other things. Some of them, one of them was this Brazilians are all blank, basically. Oh, um, okay. And that they're implying that Brazilians are stupid and that basically um, there
1: is a, a
2: sort of environment of
1: endemic... Ag- aggression um but it's 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 ridiculous you speak the same language come on it's it's yes it's, 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 a, bit, it's a bit of european arrogance well like.
2: they, they, they kind of describe the portuguese society as a macho conservative con-
1: culture so sounds, I, I
2: guess that kind of fits with some of these comments i guess
1: right so they in, in all respect then perhaps portugal never evolved um,
2: possibly not, but uh, on on the other hand, um, most Brazilians find Portugal a lovely place to live. They think the quality of life is probably better. It's a safer country. Um, so on balance, I think most Brazilians who have moved there are very glad of it. But just to be aware that there is a, an undercurrent of this feeling amongst some Brazilians that maybe they're not being treated well there in general. Right. So S- so you've been warned. For those of you planning to move to Portugal, be prepared.
1: my international story i would like to focus a little bit on some of the reasons for our seemingly endless food price inflation that we've had
2: ah yes um it's gone up quite a lot has not it specifically i think prices more doubled
1: i mean yes. I- if you go and buy bread now it's just out of this world how much is bread in the supermarket well i went the other day i went to buy two little pãozinhos pons. No, pãozinhos é uh, pão francês yes I paid like seven reais each for for two. Oh, for two. But uh, well, it used to be like one or two reais. It it used to be like cents that I would pay for one, and now I'm paying reais. I mean, come on, it's crazy. Anyway, the the global price of wheat is very, very important for food security and global stability. True. And there have been studies that have actually proven, or let's say, shown a correlation between rising uh, wheat prices or rising of food prices and violence. Ah, Interesting. So uh, that that's kind of bodes n- not so well for the future. Um, this current conflict with Russia and Ukraine has affected some of the largest producers of wheat in the world. Mm-hmm. So if you think about uh, wheat, we typically talk about the big three of, of uh, let's say, cereals. That would be wheat... Maize or corn and then rice. Right. And now we're having supply issues with the, because of the conflict, we're having supply issues uh, on the wheat. So that's right. leading to, and if you think about everything that wheat is used for, we use wheat in everything. I mean, if you make, you get a pizza or bread or any of your pastas, that's. Well, they're kind of the wheat.
2: three staple carbohydrates that feed the world, aren't they, really? Yeah. Um, rice is probably the biggest, but then I think wheat must be the second biggest. I would I, imagine. Yeah,
1: I, I, that I don't know what that correlation is. But wheat is in, let's say, basically everything.
2: I don't know if you noticed this on aside, side, but um, the Russians have been stealing the Ukrainians' wheat. Did you see that?
1: I didn't know about that. They've
2: been stealing thousands, hundreds of thousands of tons of wheat, and they've also been stealing the farming equipment. Uh, and there was yeah. an incident where they stole a whole bunch of combine harvesters and tractors and shipped them off to uh, the Crimea. And then yeah. they found out that they'd all been disabled remotely because <laughs> they couldn't <laughs> drive them <laughs> anyway. So, But it's, it's a tragedy. The, the accusation is they're trying to starve the people to death like they did during Stalin's time. Which well,
1: yeah, that's not, that what I was going to say. It's not the first time the Ruskies have done this. Yes. No, it's, it's a big problem. But l- let's get back to the wheat just for a second. Uh, Russia and Ukraine are two of the largest exporters of wheat globally, and this war is affecting the global supply. Yes, and that affects everybody. It affects affects Africa in particular. Africa is going to suffer a lot. In addition, rising oil prices are affecting a lot. Of course. Russia is also one of the largest oil exporters in the world. Now there's possibly going to be an oil
2: embargo in Europe too.
1: Yeah, and so this is leading to rising nitrogen uh, fertilizers. And plant protection chemical prices. Yes. So we're talking about uh, this. The, the the crisis in Ukraine is going to lead to a global crisis quite soon.
2: I think we're well on the way there. I agree with you. All right. I'm going to – I think I'm going to test your knowledge of James Bond now, actually. Oh? <laughs> have, you, have you ever seen the movie Moonraker? Yes, I have. I like that movie. So uh, in that story, there's a guy called Dax or Drax or someone, the bad guy. And he builds this enormous space station up in right. space. And what he tries to do is he tries to select the sort of Aryan race couples to go and live in space while he kills off everybody back on planet Earth with oh. these, with these <laughs> deadly spores that he releases into the atmosphere.
1: Right. It's a nasty I, I, Actually, I don't remember everything about that movie. It's been more than, probably more than 20 years since I've seen it. Um, there is a company called Orbital Assembly Okay. which is
2: planning to launch a space station very, very similar to the one in the movie wow.
1: within the next five years. Well, here we go. Oh, I know Elon Musk is also busy with that Sp- space uh, tourism, I think they call it. Eh? That's what they call it. Well, the um, the guy
2: who's the CEO of this company uh, called Tim Alatori, he says, well, you've got... Virgin Galactic, you got Blue Origin, you got SpaceX. They're all busy taking people into space, but they've got nowhere to go. <laughs> so what we're going to okay. do is we're going to fix that problem. We're we are going to create a space hotel
1: ah, where people
2: can spend up to you know maybe two three weeks right. um, orbiting the Earth and enjoying the view. And essentially, the idea is that it's going to be this big sort of circular. Shape that's going to rotate, so it's like okay. a big wheel.
1: So basically, so it's, it's, it's kind of th- rotating around its own axis or something, it's like rotating that? on its own axis as well
2: as orbiting the space. Wow. And the idea is the center of the wheel is not going to be any sort of gravity, so you can play with zero gravity. Oh, but as okay. you get further out along the spokes of the wheel, then they're going to have this artificial gravity. So, probably where you sleep, you're going to be able to sit down normally, you can have a shower like you would wow. on Earth, you can. Um, you can have offices. They're planning to include. You can work in space with your
1: internet connection. Imagine you can you can gamble in space. Have a casino there it would be fantastic. Probably they
2: would. Yes, We're, you're already gambling quite a bit just by going there, really.
1: But um, <laughs> well, you know, a long-term uh, visits to space can be actually negative have negative effects on the human body.
2: They do say this,
1: but I, I think most
2: people aren't going to spend more no. than about a week. There, just so. a couple weeks. It's a vacation. So. Um, They're planning to launch two space stations, actually. Okay. The bigger of the two is going to be able to accommodate 400 people, no less. Wow. And that's called the Voyager Station, and they're planning for that to open in 2027, which is... Wow, that's not so far away. Five years away. So that's very ambitious. And the smaller one, the Pioneer Station, um, will accommodate 28 people, and that will open in
1: 2025, so it's even sooner. Well, well the 28 people, people—that that's a bit claustrophobic for me. I mean, <laughs> eh, not so convinced about that. The bigger one, I think, yeah, that's interesting.
2: So the, the question is, will people actually want to go? Because personally, nothing would persuade me to go up into space and spend any time there, never mind sp- spend up, up a week up there. Um, I, w- I would do it,
1: just, just because it's different.
2: And then, of course, the second aspect is the price. Oh, the price is
1: going to be really expensive.
2: They're saying their intention is to try and make the price affordable for people other than just the super rich, which... Uh, I don't know how they're going to do that. I really don't know, especially in the next five years. I mean, I think it all sounds like a pipe dream at this point to...
1: Right. I think, I mean, maybe 10 years would be more viable, but five seems a bit short.
2: Yes. And just constructing it all, I mean, the the mind boggles how you're going to take all that sort of office furniture and stuff up there and the beds <laughs> and goodness knows, they they're planning for the environment to be a lot more comfortable. In wow. fact, the, the same chap, um, Tim Alatori, Al- he says, um, if you think of 2001 Space Odyssey, stanley kubrick's movie he says it's almost a blueprint of what not to do he says because it's all very cold and very artificial and sterile and our intention is to make it a a home from home somewhere that's a nice environment and cozy
1: well nice out
2: in the middle of space
1: (laughs) nice i I liked it it's (laughs) fantastic
2: so watch this space
1: So today on the Samba Buzz we have Sean Hill. Woohoo! Woohoo! Welcome, Woohoo. Sean. All the way from Chicago, New Jersey, United States. You've traveled around a bit, haven't you? A
0: bit, yeah. Forty countries and forty-nine of those beautiful United States, and uh, sixteen of the twenty-six states here in Brazil. That's a lot of traveling.
2: My God. Well, let's start at the beginning then. Why? What brought you to
0: Brazil? If I was really being true, Phil, I like to say it was about three things, and we'll get into it, but it was about booze, blow, and we're going to not say the other one just to not offend any girls out there. Brasileiros. Brunettes. Brunettes. Sure, brunettes. (laughs) The three Bs. Wanted to start a hostel here in Sao Paulo. Ah. Um, Came to Sao Paulo in 2006. So did they actually have a hostel here when you were thinking of opening one? So, funny story, Um, we moved into a place in Villa Magdalena, and when we moved in, our neighbors, directly across the street, we could look outside our window, and a hostel had just opened up. Oh, dear. And we had good plans and good intentions. I think our execution was not there, because we were too busy chasing those three bees. Okay, that makes sense.
1: (laughs) Uh, all right. So so you get to Brazil, and you say this is
0: 2006, this right? This was – th- well, 2006 when it was, I was I was traveling, we, I went back to the States, started working, and it was pretty quick after that that I realized, like, I do not want to be doing the U.S. corporate – climbing the corporate ladder thing. And um was like, again, why not move to Brazil? And it was January of 20, uh, 2008 that we moved here. That's 2008. When, yeah. All right. That's – yeah, that's not so long ago. What about well, the
2: maybe. the visa side though? Cuz um you wouldn't have had a visa to live here, would you?
0: No. It's funny. a G or that you like mentioned that because it's something I haven't given a lot a thought to in a while, but at the time of my at that time in my life, it was a big issue. Um we're like we're going to move and go on a tourist visa. People are like, "Yeah, just over overstay your visa." and um we <laughs> well, by a couple years uh, or whatever, well, yeah, we did no, no one that, will notice no. but <laughs> things always seem to happen for a reason and things have i don't know i feel like a lot of things in my life happened i've been you know been fortunate one of those fortunate things was uh the president at the time um who i i've uh, i know that brazilians are certainly quite um quite some are quite fond of some aren't so fond of um lula um he had he granted uh amnesty to all those at that time living right. here without mm, right. um, living here illegally and it gave me uh yeah permanent residency for 10 years so that's good so then you were pretty much scot-free after that yeah at that point by the time that was granted i was already engaged to my brazilian wife uh-huh. okay. Yeah, okay okay but, but and at the two, time
1: you were that, that's 2008, right? That
0: was now, now we're looking at this was around 2010-2011ish. 2010 2011. Yeah. you're yeah. engaged.
2: So what were you doing in that 5 years then while um, you were waiting for this to happen?
0: Oh, like a like many uh native English speakers, I was teaching English um and my schedule was Bouncing around this massive city. Um, I, when I think back of it, like think back and look at it in hindsight, I was like, what was I thinking? You know, waking up at six in the morning and getting on a crowded bus and being in a, then visiting about four or five different neighborhoods and before getting back home at eight, nine, ten o'clock at night. Um, but that was what my life was and I, i enjoyed a lot of it yeah
1: um, yeah because you, you got to uh, come in contact with lots of different people and see lots of different things you got to learn about the culture and just kind of experience life and there wasn't a lot of pressure
0: no man no pressure um you know earning earning good money for here i lived a very comfortable life that afforded me the uh the luxury of being able to travel and not answer to a boss and all the things that would seem very appealing to me yeah
1: yeah so i mean imagine all of these 5 years you you've had to have lots of different situations where you thought i mean my god i'm really not in the united
0: states i'm definitely in a different country more than one i mean obviously um i can't even some of the situations and and places and things that I would put myself and predicaments that I would put myself into just because of my proclivity to um, to like to party and spend my weekends, um, spend my weekends uh, not sleeping and just getting into as much trouble as I possibly could. Now, basically having fun, right? For a long time, um, I was trying to live a uh, double life. Um, quite frankly, I would, I, I still thought I could be the same guy or I, maybe I think I thought I should be the same guy that I was in my twenties, um, while also trying to be a dad and trying to be a husband or a good husband. Right. Um, and I was like, I gotta, I gotta figure out, I'm gonna prove to myself and prove to others that I can do both of these things and where wear both of these hats cuz that's who I was from the time I was 15 16 years old I was I felt the I felt compelled by I don't know something even greater than myself to always be the life of the party had to be the the first guy there the last guy to leave I, I um, did, the,
1: the fun guy you wanted you wanted to be the guy that everybody wanted to be around
0: yes Until sometimes it got to the point where people didn't want to be around me.
2: (laughs) Oh. So what we're talking about here then is um, you were carrying on a lifestyle where you were drinking quite heavily. And maybe that affected your relationships with some people at times?
0: Completely. I think in a way I cared too much about what other people thought of me or about me. And in a way it got... It, it put up a barrier to who I could become, and it just was this feeling of not being comfortable in my own skin, I guess you could say. Okay, so, so that, let's say that, that, that feeling of not being comfortable in your,
1: in your own skin, did that lead you to do different things that you didn't want to do? Or was that a result of doing things that, that you wanted to change?
0: I think it started for me um, because it, the the work that I've done, um, I you know in and out, uh, in and out of a of a program for recovery um, the last nine years of my life. Um, it, I've come to believe in my for my particular situation, it was about uh, some childhood trauma that I had when I was a kid and my father passing away when I was five and holding a lot of resentment against him and you and and I would get told things about my dad about how he was the the most fun loving life of the party kind of guy and like I thought I had to in a way I thought I had to live up to that in some way the 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 other part of it the The addiction, what I call addiction to it, was there, um, was just, was just there waiting for me, um, because I think I had this, I think I was born with an, this addictive personality, and once I put alcohol, drugs into my system, and all of the stuff that I dealt with from my past, it was just like, the answer, For me, um, when it came to the things that I was dealing with um, from my childhood, alcohol and drugs were just like, yes, this, why why didn't anyone give this to me when I was younger? (laughs) I was, I think there are two types of alcoholics in the world, right? I think that you have the people that are, are really truly born with it, and it's like as soon as they get drunk, something in them sparks, and they're, and they're off to the races, right? Mm-hmm. And there's other people that sort of develop it over a longer period of time. I think I'm in column A. Um, I think that this this was was waiting for me. Once I started drinking, it's like I just thought about it all the time. Um, and so even when you were partying, when you
2: first came to Brazil, this was kind of part of the process then? Yeah. yeah.
0: I... I I knew something was different about me compared to my other friends who were just partiers and, um, and let's say heavy drinkers. I knew there was something different. Nobody who doesn't have an issue has lost fifteen phones in their life. Um, being in in situations and waking up in places and not knowing how you got there and like and not just once or twice but (laughs) on a monthly basis i've been woken up by fathers chasing me out of their house oh um (laughs) i've been woken up um by the police in six countries um sleeping in parks um and not so, knowing how I got there. Okay. Um, but and, do you think you
2: were drinking extreme amounts, or was just alcohol affecting you in a particular way?
0: Oh, I was drinking extreme amounts, and I think it. I had a high tolerance for, for it right from the start. It so, was I, so. Yeah. So
1: I, I'm just a little bit curious about how do you go then from thinking about it all the time, constantly, to let's say where you are now, because you say now you're 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 not at that point, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, There's there's the process, and I mean that that process and that that program for me um, is is Alcoholics Anonymous. the the first step of of any twelve step program, right, is admitting that you. But as the as a group, because there is this fellowship part of the group, we. We heal together in, right. these, prog- in these type you, of you programs. You make yourself stronger through, e- the, through the group. Exactly, right? So fellowship is one of the core principles. But so we say we are powerless over alcohol or sex or whatever. I mean, there's mm-hmm. a 12-step program for man, just about everything yeah. it feels like these days. Sugar, I know there is one. Yeah, I mean, geez, sure. there's, there's been studies that, that show that sugar's more addictive than cocaine. Um, and, um, well, and
1: I think Elton John was addicted to
0: shopping for a while also. Could, could have been, yeah, right. He was addicted
2: to money
1: things. <laughs> yeah, I think so too, right? Um, and but but that, that's also, let's say, a person who's always the center of the attention. Mm-hmm. You know If you look at Elton John or some of the celebrities at uh, Freddie Mercury, these guys were the life of the party.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then they kind of had a similar, uh, similar problems. It's not drink number 15 of the night that gets me drunk, that puts me over the edge into like a blackout. I used to think that way. Right. I used to think, "Oh man, if I just didn't have that. Shot at three in the morning, everything would have been all right, you know, mm. um maybe I wouldn't have woken up in the in the drunk tank or I wouldn't have woken up in um on top of that statue exactly right <laughs> and um and now I've realized that it's the first drink it's the first sip that gets me drunk because as soon as that gets in, in as soon as that substance gets into my system i start thinking, I start obsessing about it. I have to put sob- my sobriety as the number one thing in my life. And I mean this with all my heart. I have to put it before my kids. I got to put it before my wife. I got to put it before everything. Right. Cuz everything trickles down from my sobriety. Right.
2: Do you think um society is in denial about the effects of alcohol, do you think that um, advertising for alcohol should be banned, the same as cigarettes? Um, how would you change things in, in a sort of bigger perspective to help people who have, you know, through no fault of their own, they have a reaction with alcohol?
0: Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I think uh, I've thought about that, and I've heard, um, I've heard people in rooms and say oh we should you know i i I don't think that something like prohibition is an is the answer um i don't think that prohibiting ads is gonna stop things i do actually think this is my own personal belief that um the relationship between binge drinking in I am English speaking culture for uh-huh. whatever reason. British Brit- Brit- Certainly in the UK
2: and Ireland. In the Ireland, UK, yep.
0: Ireland, the United States, absolutely. Uh-huh. Um, for whatever reason, we embrace this. We still
2: glamorize it we to pl- some degree. Absolutely.
0: Don't we? Man, there are so many closeted um, alcoholics that um, are doing things out there um, behind the scenes. And, you know, I, again, the. The, one of the one of the pillars of AA is that we don't look to promote. We kind of just look to attract and and you know what I want to do and anybody who's willing to anyone who thinks they're having an issue with alcohol, um, you know i I suggest popping into a meeting and um, and listening to the stories that are in there. Um, with working the steps, um, there is something. Bigger than me at play here. Um, I think that there, you know, I I have a belief in a a higher power. I have a belief um, that I can pass that. I can, I can ask that higher power to be in charge of that drinking persona, personality, that guy that I used to be, that maybe wants to be there. And on a daily basis, I ask that higher power to say, "You know what? You got that part of it for me today. Let me go do my stuff." Uh, Sean, I want to thank you again personally for for coming here. Yes, that's, thank you very much. Been fantastic. It's, it's uh, yeah. I just would say, you know, people who are—I li- I mean, anyone listening—seek um, help. There's there is a um, there are meetings. I mean, everywhere. But yeah, currently I'm like the. Um, what we call the general service representative for a meeting that, it's an English speaking meeting that happens every Tuesday um, uh, at 7.30 um, in uh, like right near the Brigadeiro Metro in Sao Paulo. One of those things I've done in, in just recently is my, um, a business that I've just started um, and it's it's health coaching. Uh, and, you know, I I've been able to, Help people not. It's the the purpose of this is not just to help them with um with help people with alcoholism, but as we mentioned, other issues that you right. have with um whether it's something with weight or whether it's something with how you feel about your physical activity or relationships in your life. It's kind of all encompassing, and I've embraced this. And one of the parts that connects me and I see that works very um symbot um symbiotically. Is working um, is working with other people and being of service um, to other people and um, practicing all of the um, all of the principles that AA has taught me, um, and I'm trying to share those with other people um, and helping them get healthier. So um, you can find me at uh, one in a million healthcoach.com or hillhealthcoach on Instagram. All right, today for Guru, I
2: thought we'd talk a little bit about the third conditional. Do you know the third conditional? The third conditional. Give me a sentence using the third
1: conditional. If I had been born differently, I wouldn't have this face. That doesn't make it. That's
2: that's, that's a very good example of the third conditional. If you had been born differently, you wouldn't have had that face. So what I want to look at today is I want to look at some... Alternative, unusual structures that relate to the third conditional. Oh, and I thought, by way of example, we would use the um, fictional character Lassie, the dog. Do you remember Lassie?
1: Oh, Lassie was lovely. Yeah, I remember her. Because sure. they, they would
2: always, you know, Lassie would always help
1: out, and she would save the day. In she somehow. always saved the day. It was, and, a, it was. A, Lassie was a a, a a collie. A collie, yes. And she always saved the day. It was a nice, fluffy collie.
2: And there'd always be a sentence that would come along that would use something like the third conditional. So I, I, I've given you a, a, a template here. I just want you to create a sentence oh. using the third conditional. Okay, so
1: if Lassie hadn't come along, the boy would have been trapped in the well, yeah?
2: Because Lassie basically finds the boy down the
1: well, and then she goes and tells
2: everybody right. what she's found. Yeah. So, what I'm going to show you very briefly is I'm going to give you three other alternatives for the if clause, and they all use the preposition for. Alright, so the, the long version would be if it hadn't been for Lassie, oh, okay. sure. the boy would have been trapped in the well. Okay. Now, if, if it hadn't been for, is too long for you, then you've got two other alternatives. You could just say, if not for Lassie, the boy would have been trapped in the well. Okay. And the last version is, but, but for Lassie, the boy would
1: have been trapped in the well. Right. And that's a little bit less common. But it's simpler, though, isn't it? Yes, and it's faster. It's faster,
2: and it's not very well known, which is my point in raising oh, okay. it today. Actually, is that a lot of um, a lot of people I've met here so certainly would not recognise the structure of but for right, um, but, but, is for. Yeah, <laughs> but but for basically a butt uplift maybe. And we're not
1: talking about butt implants or or, or <laughs> butt ex, butt extraction. We're but. talking about
2: but for, which is, means the same as, as if not for. If not for Lassie, the boy would have been trapped in a well. So it's kind of an unusual use of for in, in this context because each of the three examples all use for. If it hadn't been for, if not for, and but for. Um, so this is one to keep an eye open f- for in the future if you happen
1: to see it. Yes, I'll, I'll, I'll remember that for the future. So there you have it. That is our guru for this week. Wow, short and simple and uh, direct. And I. And happy to talk about Lassie as well. And you
2: get to remember dear old Lassie, yes. Yes, she was cute.
1: I imagine she's long dead by now. <laughs> I imagine there was about
2: 10 Lassies when they were filming the series, actually. <laughs> so I guess that just about wraps up Pod 33.
1: I Pod 33 is in the books. And we will be back. When are we back next time? We'll be back next time. We have a, a different guest uh, this one was a little bit more of a serious guest. Feel free to visit our website. We've made changes to the website. It's updated. Feel free to look at it and give us some feedback about that, please.
2: And if you want to come on the pod and be a guest, um, feel free to get in touch. Our details are on the site.
1: Thank you. www.thesambabuzz.com Bye. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.